What's up? What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Jack of All Trades, a weekly podcast for you to digest where there will always be a special guest. I'm your host, Jacqueline Renee, aka Captain Jack Sparrow, Jack Jack, Jackie Two Necklaces, and Trapper Die Jacks if you know me like that. So, sure enough, there's another conflict going on in the world. War is back in play. So, I've brought back a special guest to give us a little bit of a 101 on the situation, give us a download on what's happening, the history between Russia and Ukraine, and how we can keep ourselves safe um, and stay ready so we don't have to get ready. Without further ado, let's get into it. All right, this week, Jack of All Trades takes on the war across the pond. So we are witnessing yet another conflict unfold in the world. And there are a lot of questions and and thoughts to unpack. So brought back a special guest who's not new to the show, who uh, might have some expertise for us. So uh, we want to be informed. We want to be smart. And, you know, if we choose to help people, we want to do it in the right way. So. Uh, without further ado, let me allow my guest to reintroduce himself. Hey, good evening, everyone, or good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're watching or listening to this. Uh, this is Jerry Lightfoot. Once more and again here, rocking my girl Jackie. You know, we got J&J Productions going full circle 2022, just like it always has been. Um, but we're just going to dive into this and just talk a little bit about what's going on across the water and uh, some misconceptions when it comes to America and our role as well. So just a disclaimer, I'm nobody's expert. I mean, I do work in certain positions and I've been in long enough to to reach certain ranks, but don't want to put all that out there. Just know that what I'm saying is no BS and I do know what I'm talking about. So I'm not just wearing a badge of, uh, I've been to war a few times, so I know, but I do this on a daily basis, um, strategic planning and everything else. And I'm working a big command up here in DC. So I'll just leave that there. Awesome. Thank you for that intro. Thank you for your service. You're welcome. Thank you for the support. Yes. Glad to have you back. How have you Thanks. been? I've been well. I've been well. Just, you know, trying to get readjusted into possibly going back into the office, which we just talked about for a little bit. and. That's no easy thing after working at home for two years, but hey, it is what it is. How yes. about you? Yeah, Joe is serious about us going back to this office. Yeah, yeah, but he <laughs> he be in Delaware all the time though. But that you know, that's just between me and you. <laughs> right? Yeah, all the people that are saying go back to the office are quietly never going to be there. So. <laughs> Whatever. So, all right. So let's kick it off with an icebreaker. So speaking of Joe, you know, President <laughs> Joe Biden had a State of the Union address last week. And because of everything going on that we're going to get into, we're hearing a lot from him this week. And um, one of the things that we heard today was that he's going to impose sanctions on Russia um, with everything that's going on between Russia and Ukraine, which in in effect is banning um, oil and other energy resources that the U.S. would use, which means gas is going to stay up, right? I'm not going to purport that it's going to go up even more, but we all see that gas prices have gone up a little bit, so they're going to stay there. So what are your thoughts on everything Joe is telling us? Joe is telling us gas is going up, it's going to stay up. Student loans are coming back in May. Everybody should go back to work. (laughs) (laughs) And the water's wet and the sky's blue still, huh? That's that's I guess that's what we're pretty much getting. Well, where's the uh, relief, Joe? To be honest, honestly speaking, um, let's let's think about it. It's about to be springtime, and then springtime comes summer. Mm-hmm. We see this every year. Gas prices go up around this time because they know people are traveling, and even more so, I think they're they're using this Russia Ukraine situation to hike prices up because. We know now you're lifting mass mandates. People feel like COVID is just essentially evaporated 
mm-hmm. and we can go 100% back to normal. So that means, you know, people are going to be hitting the streets. People are going to take trips. People are traveling. We need to make some of that money back. We've been losing for the past two years. So, hey, let's hike up these prices. I mean, to be honest, I don't see why the price is going up so much between Russia with this Russia-Ukraine thing, because only about a third or a fourth of the world's uh, oil comes from Russia. You know, the main bulk of it comes from the Middle East. And even out of that third or fourth that comes from Russia, U.S.'s importation of that number is, you know, extremely smaller. Okay. So just the fact that Russia is doing what it's doing, it shouldn't really be affecting our numbers that seriously. And America's kind of stingy anyway. America has its own natural gas and oil reserves that we've been setting aside to where if we truly had to cut off from the rest of the world, we can at least run everything with our reserves. I want to say for at least the next 80 to 110 years before it runs out. But we don't want to use that. I mean, think about all the pipelining and everything in Alaska and in the the Northwest country. We have our own resources. But once again, we'd rather consume theirs and hold on to ours for a rainy day. But all in all, it really shouldn't be affecting the prices the way it is. I think this is just something to blame it on. And you can see real world and real time like, hey, this is going on in, in Ukraine. So this is why our prices are the way that they are. But the president, in effect, or even the people over OPIC and the OPI, in the petroleum industry can can set a hard line of mm-hmm. prices and just not let it exceed a certain amount. But of course they're not because that's more money for them. Right, profits. Profits, profits. What is America? Capitalism. Right. Makes the, the capitalistic ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Everything you're saying makes sense. Now, I will say that a third of the, the oil for the world is a lot. But if the U.S. is not taking in a ton of that, then it definitely feels like it's kind of a perfect storm. And we absolutely see that COVID, they have decided, hey, you better just learn to live with it. And we're moving (laughs) on. (laughs) Okay. So the gas prices, you can see they were creeping up off of that alone. Um, So, yeah, I definitely can see where it's like, all right, well, let's just kind of make it happen and take advantage while it looks like a perfect storm anyway. But because no one's really going to argue too much. It's just like, oh, you're right. It's a, a whole yeah. conflict overseas. There it is. So right. it makes sense. And I think, I think it will be interesting, though, to see how long things are sustainable or how folks start to boil over. Because it is one thing for gas prices to go back up. But then it's another thing for there to be a push for everybody to be back in the office, like you started to right. say. And now it's like, all right, you want me to be back in the office, kind of risking my safety, depending on what the scenario looks like and the people I have to deal with. I got to pay more to get there. I sacrifice all the time that I've gotten used to having built into my day to day to be there. Um, So I think there's just a lot of things that folks will have to like really come face to face with pretty quickly in the next couple of months because, you know, word on the curb is that after Memorial Day, like it's like floodgates will be open as if anything has really been shut down around, you know, these U.S. streets anyway. But I don't know. It's going to be an interesting summer. But, you know, in conclusion, you know, give us a break, Joe. But (laughs) let's just go ahead and move into tonight's overall topic. Uh, Yeah. So we've got Another war that's brewing here. So Russia has invaded Ukraine. Um, It's been a couple of weeks now. So a lot has unfolded over the past, you know, call it 14, 15 days. So I wanted to bring you on to give us some additional history and, and just expertise on what's going on. So first question, can you give us an abbreviated history lesson you know something that's kind of simplified uh for the people because we did see like this simplified strong independent country type breakdown the first week uh but you know let's talk about how accurately accurately that actually described the dynamics between the two countries and what should people know about what's going on okay i appreciate the opportunity but 
uh, basically Ukraine and Russia has been in this song and dance. I mean, it can be traced back all the way to the 11th century uh, with Kyiv. So they've survived as a, as a country, centuries of oppression from Russia, Poland, and they came out the wreckage of what was known as the Soviet Union back in 91 to be a sovereign state mm. that, that's known as Ukraine. And a sovereign state is we do our own thing. Right. We, we do our own thing. We're not part of um, like USSR was a group of, of different countries that came together to be like a this little Soviet federation, almost like the, the EU, how you have mm-hmm. different countries in Europe that forms the European Union. Right. Or if you look at it on a, a kind of smaller scale, how each state forms the United States. But imagine if each state was a different country. Yeah. So uh, Ukraine became a, a sovereign country. The kind of funny their name actually means borderland that's one of the one of the meanings of ukraine and that's exactly where they're sit because europe is to the west of ukraine and russia is to the east of ukraine so that's definitely like a a good primary spot and like i said they've just been doing this whole song and dance with russia since the 11th century but just moving like modern time from like the 1930s um, Ukrainians been having a problem with, with Russians, especially with Stalin doing World War II because they had this this huge famine in the land. It was called Holodomor. And Ukrainians, modern day Ukrainians and historians attribute that suffering and that famine uh, because of Stalin and the punishment that he was inflicting on them just because of them being Ukrainians, you know, yeah. and not really being, being full Russians. And in 2014, you had protesters uh, in Ukraine. They overthrew the president. He was uh, Viktor uh, Yanukovych. And he favored Russian policies heavy. Like he was really in bed with Russian policies and Russian interests, which was kind of going against what Ukraine has already set up being a sovereign country. Mm-hmm. So during that revolution, that also happened in Kyiv, and over 100 people were killed, but they were over- able to overthrow the actual president. So just kind of fast forward and Russia just looks at Ukraine as not really the one that got away, but where they're located, um, you know, geographically speaking, it's a great strategic position. And I think Putin just wants a lot of that land back. Like he wants to build up what used to be the USSR. Mm -hmm. So in order to detour or deter this whole thing with Ukraine possibly joining NATO and what that was going to look like us becoming better, you know, closer allies with Ukraine and their relationship with the European Union, I think that really is the main catalyst that forced him to go ahead and just boom and bum rush, you know, bum rush Ukraine and kick the door in. Okay, so that was the last straw. I think that was the last straw because honestly, he sent something to NATO saying, basically, I won't invade if you pretty much decline Ukraine's entry into NATO. If you don't allow them into NATO, then... I I won't go in there. Yeah. And you know, NATO was just like, nah, we're good. We're not gonna listen to that. <laughs> so um he went in there. Basically, Putin is not even looking at this as a war. In his mind, this is all a special operation. Yeah. For the people of Ukraine, which is so weird when you think about it. He's he thinks in his head that he's just kind of playing the hero. He's protecting them from from genocide and bullying, which there has not been any record of that so far. But in his mind, this is why we're going in. We're going in to liberate Ukraine from all the bullying and the genocide that's going on, but there's not any. And also we're trying to aim for demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine, which I don't see how when the majority of, not even the majority, but the president himself is Jewish and a, and a lot of Ukraine is Jewish. Okay. So where is the the Nazis at in that in that equation? But I mean, that's just how sick individuals and the people I feel like have been in power for too long and they get extremely drunk with power. Yeah. How they just try to justify their actions. I mean, and if you're looking at a man who's been president of, of Russia for, for about 20 years now with, with no challenger, when he had a challenger, they, they got rid of that guy. He, you know, they yeah. blew him sky high. So, right, that's crazy. Like, imagine if any one American president was in that role for twenty years. Right. I mean, we, the closest we came was I think FDR. He did. It was his third, or he won his fourth, and then he died. Mm-hmm. And that's why they said, okay, presidents are going to have term limits. 
Yeah. Because it's just so much that can happen. And, you know, you can really bend a country to your will when you're in power too long. I mean, hence, the same argument could be made with Congress and senators. I feel like they should have term limits. Hell because yeah. Because the president can only serve two terms. And why do you guys get to go in there and do this for life? And you haven't had a good idea since the civil rights movement. But right. that's, a, that's a, you know, that's another discussion for another day. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. No good breakdown there. So, um, again, so you mentioned the talks of Ukraine joining NATO. So, again, let's let's make it one on one for the folks listening. So let's talk about who NATO is and, and what they have going on and why it would be beneficial for Ukraine to join them. OK, so NATO is by short the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Uh, they are a military alliance that was established in 1949 by the U.S., Canada, U.K., France, and eight other European countries. But currently, as it sits, they are 30 countries that are a part of, of NATO. And their key principle is collective defense. So when you hear collective defense or you think about NATO and all these countries, just think about having like a big family. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like the families to where... You can't just fight me. You gotta fight me. You gotta fight my brothers. You gotta fight my sisters, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles. Everybody's coming out. We throwing hands, yes. and that's basically NATO's strength. So it's like you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Hence, um, it's called Article Five, and that's the big thing that we're sending all these countries. We're sending soldiers to the NATO countries that surround and border Ukraine, just in case. Putin decides, well, I'm going to let one of these missiles go errantly off and, and cross this border, or I'm going to send a tank into this country that's, you know, on the other side of Ukraine or to the north or to the uh, to the east of it, mm-hmm. or to the west of it, excuse me, then that's that will spark not only us to jump in and the, the other 30 countries and their military forces to jump in as well. Mm, so NATO is basically Boulevard, my partner now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And Ukraine, the benefits that they would have from joining NATO is just like, I mean, imagine your big brother is the U.S. Like, right. You're not going to fight me because if you fight me, I'm going to tell my brother. You have to deal with my brother. You don't want to see the United States enough. You don't. Come on. Right. And real head up face to face. Not like how the last 20 years we did in Afghanistan and Iraq, but in a true military setting. Mm-hmm. With I'm wearing this uniform and you wearing that uniform, you don't want to see us and our full range of capabilities. Yeah. Okay. So that that's a big thing. They get the, the immediate backing of that military power. Um, they get the opportunity to possibly join the European Union, which is going to okay. do leaps and bounds for their economy and kind of put them more so in a better position to generate opportunities and, and economic wealth and just raise their, their GDP to a whole nother level. And lastly, they get a closer relationship with the United States. I mean, we, we all know that at the end of the day, most countries really don't like us. <laughs> I feel like our friends are bought, but yeah. we do send a lot of foreign aid and money to the countries that are a part of the NATO or our allies on okay. a yearly basis. So then, you know, you're looking to get a big fat check from the United States every year or so just for being just for letting them be your big brother so why not right yes okay so yeah if you join gang gang there's gang protections okay well is there something that is like opposite you don't even gotta get jumped in right you don't gotta get jumped in but hey you gotta survive a war apparently so so is there like an opposite though like um something that is juxtaposed against nato that Russia represents with other no no enemies? so Russia's not a part of <laughs> anything like that that could go against NATO so you have NATO and then you have the UN and a lot of people confuse the the two NATO is more aligning our military forces between allied countries mm-hmm. versus the UN is more diplomatic it's it's all the nations that are part of the UN and their whole thing is to pre- prevent war and to prevent a lot of atrocities that happen. So they come together on their diplomatic ish. Like they just want to sit, they want to politic with you. They want to talk, they want to break bread, pour you a nice glass of red wine and a good steak. And, you know, let's see if we can, we can work this out. Mm-hmm. That's the UN's mode. Um, NATO's mode is, is pretty much, you know, you can play with if you want to, but you know, we'll beat your ass. <laughs> okay. 
type of deal. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so again, we mentioned earlier that Russia is facing sanctions, you know, just as recently as today uh, from the U.S. So getting san- sanctioned in a lot of different ways. So can you just kind of go uh, a little bit deeper into what that means? And, you know, I can't help but see that it looks like there's some money concerns for the oligarchs of the country and even those that are quietly in the U.S. Um, a lot of elected officials in the U.S. have all of a sudden had to kind of scramble when it comes to money and, and where they were invested in Russia or Russia giving them money. So let's talk well, more about sanctions. All right, yeah. So with sanctions, the, the U.S. and the U.K., they've done something that pretty much has never been done before. Like we've gotten into conflicts with other countries, but never has the other collective powers that be the other superpowers say, you know what, we're cutting off your banks. <laughs> and usually wars generate money. People go to war to make money. Hence how many billions of millionaires were made off of the war preceding 9-11 in Iraq and Afghanistan, all the contracting companies, everything else, because logistically speaking, it's just a gold mine. So war usually generates crazy money, you can drive an economy. However, you gotta have the money to do it. And when you turn around and, and all your assets, you're talking about 630 billion roughly in American and maybe about 470 billion in euros of your reserves are now inaccessible. Mm. Like, how, what are you doing with your money? Your, your, your main banks are, are cut off. They're not allowed access to even pass money across borders to other banks. Yeah. So it, it's hard. Yeah, like your stock market hasn't even opened up. Your money itself has dropped about between thirty and forty percent, just just in value. So the people that are billionaires and millionaires, they're watching their wealth just kind of dissipate mm-hmm. overnight. However, another thing that's that's kind of been talked about is the cryptocurrency. So you know, cryptocurrency is really big. Bitcoin and all the other ones, they haven't decided to stop dealing with Russia. So a lot of those millionaires or billionaires are trying to convert as much as their assets as they can from 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 rubles to actual cryptocurrency to keep its value. Mm-hmm. And that's the workaround right now. And uh, it, I mean, it's they're going to have to make a decision with that. But we're just cutting off, cutting off the banks. They're going after the oligarchs, their property in the UK. In the U.S. and Canada, they put together task force. They're seizing land. They're seizing um, other assets. They're seizing cars. They're seizing homes. They're freezing accounts. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're like legit taking everything. Like, all right, you're Russian. This is how you want to play. Cool. We'll just even if you had nothing to do with this, it's it's ours now. Mm-hmm. And that has never been seen before. They've also instituted a no-fly zone. You know with russia so it's pretty much isolating them like no country right now or no superpower real country is allowing russia to fly in or letting flights fly into russia okay. or letting russian flights fly into to their country so it's kind of putting them on you would say almost like a a hypothetical island to the point where they're just they're yeah. just by themselves so they're losing all of that the oligarchs they're pissed because everything's going down and they kind of want to see this conflict come to an end because their money is just going, their assets are going. Like a lot of things are just being frozen. They can't move about how they normally can. And it's it's really, it's, it's hurting the economy in a major way. I don't think Putin even really saw this coming. Right. And again, that's what I was going to say. If you bring it back to what you mentioned earlier, Putin is the one that is really driving this effort. This isn't like there's been some atrocity committed against Russia where the people are saying, oh, we kind of have to seek a revenge, you know, kind of like 9-11. This is literally like Putin's doing this and it's affecting all the rest of us and we didn't even sign up for this shit. And well, the funny thing is um, Putin and his foreign minister, which is pretty much like his second in command, they have a lot of assets in America, in Canada, in the UK. And we've we've seized them all like we've, we've frozen those assets or we, we've reclaimed whatever property that he had here or that he had in canada or in the uk and they have a travel ban to where they can't even enter those countries 
So that that's they're they're really doing some serious stuff, and I, I do want to see going forward. They did propose possibly cutting off importing, you know, Russia's oil and and other things, but it's it's still like hypothetical. I know President Biden talked about it, but that's like when you once you start saying I'm going to cut, I'm not going to import your oil. Mm-hmm. Then there's a, a big pipeline that runs probably about a good percentage of the natural gas that goes into Germany and some other countries cutting that off to where they, you know, they won't be able to, to get funds from that or or get that natural gas. Like you have to be willing, once you draw those lines in the sand, you have to be willing to enforce whatever comes with that. And uh, I, I hope that President Biden, he's not just saying this because I, Putin seems like the person that would actually test those waters. And that if, if, if it comes to it, President Biden will do what needs to be done uh, for the American people. Mm-hmm. It's giving knock if you buck. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's basically kind of what it is. You put that hard line in the sand and you're pretty much daring somebody like, you know, you're so across this line or, mm-hmm. or swing first. You know what I'm saying? You swing yeah. first, see what happens. This is basically what we're, you know, we're telling this country, but we know this man is not, he's not wrapped too tight. So if, if he does, we have to be prepared to yeah. take the appropriate action and it needs to be done swiftly without you know with the smallest chance of losing the least amount of american lives as possible so i mean mm-hmm. you just came off of a 20-year war right and your armed forces are tired right <laughs> your forces are spread thin and people don't like to hear this because you know i got into it with some people on twitter not too long ago and i was just speaking the truth like they think oh well, i google uh, the American uh, military number and it's this it's like come on you honestly think we're going to list our actual number of service members online for anyone to look at one two our military has been you know drawing back so we're not as big as we used to be we're currently not in war so we don't need ramped up numbers mm-hmm. and we're spread thin like all over the world so you have to think about all the active duty bases in America all the bases throughout like in a hundred in another 110 countries yeah. that we have military presence in america has never been in a conflict or never been in a place where we've had to you know like you say nugget if you buck let them things go and left like we still have a presence every mm-hmm. single place yeah and those presence require people to run it it requires people to be there hence that make up our actual armed forces and i just i just don't think that it would be It'd be good for us to get into a war with Russia at our current size. You okay. know, would, would that mean the draft or would that mean some other things? Possibly. But at the end of the day, unless America is willing to do the real dirty work of war when the time comes, then you're really going to risk thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of American lives over something we have no part in, honestly. Yeah. Crazy. Okay, um, so next question. A lot of folks have, have seen the presence of Russian bots on Twitter and <laughs> Facebook and on the internet. They seem to have started to dwindle or just outright disappear. Is this a part of the sanctions? Like, how how has this changed or what has probably led to what seems, I guess, to be the appearance of what were likely Russian bots influencing uh, misinformation or driving divisiveness, you know, or just all around trolling on the internet. Like, do we think that sanctions might have affected the presence of those bots that we used to see? I don't really think it's the sanctions. I think uh, more so we've seen a very elevated presence of Russian bots and and Russian activity since the 2016 election. President Trump and Senator Clinton, when that happened, that's when that was like the height of their getting involved with everything, all of our social media kind of trying to push their own certain agenda. But for the past, I would say good last few years, maybe about three, I'd say maybe since about 2017 or so to now, cyber like cyber cyber warfare has been really big so it that's yeah. a really big thing when people talk about world war three they really didn't think that it would be one force versus another 
like World War III has technically been happening every day between Russia, China, and other countries when it comes to their attacks on American infrastructure, on uh, certain certain firewalls mm -hmm. and securities. And I think that this situation has actually just upped America's security and America's firewalls. And we found a way to protect ourselves more and kind of weed those threats out and kind of push them to the side or eliminate them altogether. So, uh, you know, hats off to all of our our white hats and our ethical hackers and our cybersecurity personnel that is, uh, you know, taking this fight every day that we don't even see. And you're not going to hear about it. It's not discussed on the news. It's not going to make CNN and Fox. But but these are things that are happening 24-7. You have people on these computers trying to find ways to keep our infrastructure up and, and keep these, uh, these cyber and attacks out of our everyday lives. Gotcha. All right, so um, over the past couple of weeks, we've also seen that uh, Russia took over one of the nuclear plants in Ukraine. So how big is the threat of this situation becoming a nuclear war just because they took over a plant? Right, I, I think with the plant, with them taking over the plant, it's not really scaling toward a nuclear war. That's just kind of more like a chess move. You know, like I'm controlling this nuclear plant so I can can run a certain amount of power in this region or this area. But uh, Chernobyl, Chernobyl is historic in, in what has gone down there. And I don't think that they're really willing to, to do that. You know, when you talk about nuclear war and just the fallout from that. So you're looking at for a whole generation, at least 30 to 40 years, that that land is inhabitable. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing's gonna grow and you're talking about all kinds of radiation poisoning and everything else, just from that actual nuke. Yeah. And the thing with nukes is a lot of other countries, I mean, Russia has nukes, of course, but, but so does the rest of our superpowers, like us as the US and UK, and I mean, hell, China and even North Korea. And we know Iran. North Korea got them. Yeah, you know, the thing about nukes is nobody really wants to be the one to pop it off. Like, all right, I'm going to shoot this nuke, you know, because what that means going forward, they're not ready for that. Like just in a, for, let's say America, for example, let's say Russia does, I'm going to shoot this nuke off and it's going to hit somewhere on the border of uh, Poland and Ukraine. And Poland, of course, is a NATO state. That means America would have to jump in based off of Article 5. But America has so many nuclear warheads strategically placed all around the world to where it would take a country, they have to go through so much to be able to hit us, except Alaska, they can hit Alaska because Russia's really close to there. Yeah. But the continental USA, no other military or anything is close by enough to actually do damage to us while we can you know, respond in the drop of a dime. And I think the country or a country doesn't want to see that those repercussions. That's basically why you probably won't see a country itself pull the trigger on a nuclear war. It's going to be maybe a dirty bomb or something like that okay. from an organization that may take credit. But a country itself knows that it's going to get retaliated on. And when those nukes start raining down, you're talking millions of lives and your land is pretty much uh, a waste field for the next generation or so. Yeah. That's that's something that I don't think gets revisited enough. I, I think, you know, just like I've seen, there's a ton of talk on Twitter about surviving some sort of nuclear attack. And it's like, yeah. you're not going to come out of that on on the other side the same. <laughs> not not like you think. I mean, if you have a good enough, if you have good enough warning to where, I mean, maybe yeah. hours or so or maybe even half an hour and you can get to somewhere that's fortified, that's, you know, deep underground or something like that, then mm -hmm. you, you, ch you stand a chance, but just trying to survive an actual blast and then the shock wave and everything else that comes along with it, that's going to singe everything in its path and it's moving at the speed of sound. Nah, you're not dodging that. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not unexpectedly, you know? So I think a lot of people just need to be very realistic. Like it's it's one thing to have these bomb shelters and then these end of the world fortresses built, but you need time. You need time to get there. You need time to get inside. You need time to 
properly seal up, you know. Yeah. You can't just be at work stuck on the well, leaving work stuck on the expressway on a commute home and then the bomb hits and you think you're gonna do some old uh book of Eli and walk for the next thirty years and make it, you know. Right. It's, it, it's not that's that's not the way it actually works. So, you know, people just gotta be more realistic. I mean, plan for the best, you know, always protect yourself at all times and have take the proper precautions but don't don't just live like that thinking that i need to prep for this or this is the worst that can happen but know what can happen and just conduct yourself accordingly yep that's fair all right so something we saw um come out over the weekend so Brittany griner um american wnba basketball player and two-time uh, Olympic gold medal winner for the women's basketball team. Also, we now know apparently plays for the Russian national team or plays Russian basketball, let me not assume, um, and has been doing so for at least four years now. Um, she went over uh, to start playing with their league at the beginning of February and got uh, caught up leaving her flight or getting into the country Um in possession of a couple of, what are we calling them? Essentially vape pens that had THC. So uh, we did not hear about it (laughs) for weeks, Um, but it does sound like they did try to start to resolve the situation um, pretty immediately. And they tried to avoid like a media frenzy by just letting it be known that she was going through that. But the Russian media, uh, basically, you know, as this conflict is unfolding, did announce on their end, like, we have an American basketball player, you know, over here, basically, like, <laughs> again, knuck a few bucks. So what what should we know about that? Or what is there to know or to be concerned about? Because it was kind of crazy to hear about it and then know that she's been over there for all this time now, just like. What what's really at play there? So I think on on Russia's side, it's it's definitely a political move. It's almost like I can dangle this over the United States head, but you know, countries got to realize like we don't really <laughs> negotiate with terrorists. Right. <laughs> you hear it all the time, and people think like it's a, it's a joke. Like no, it's not. Like we're going to diplomatically try to solve whatever. But at the end of the day, we're not caving and we're not giving in because you got to look at it. I mean, it sounds sounds shitty when you think about it, but Brittany Griner is one person. Yeah. And yeah, that one person is somebody's daughter and somebody's sister and cousin and friend and, you know, or wife or whatever, fiance. But in comparison to the hundreds of millions of lives over here, the U.S. and the powers that be, they're going to be like, mm, nah. But I yeah. honestly believe that Russia is kind of flexing and buffing and kind of bluffing at this point, even though they did say that it could be punishable for, you know, 20 or more years in prison. But I mean, it's a bait. And honestly, I think if the tensions and the things with the Ukraine that they had going on wasn't going on, this really wouldn't be an issue, you know? So I think it's maybe a leverage play like, hey, I'll give you your basketball player back if you lift one of these sanctions or, you know, I'll let Brittany come home if you make sure that y'all keep importing our oil or something. So I, I, I see it being a power play eventually. Um, but other than that, yeah, we're, we're, it's not like we're going to send off a thousand ships over there. Yeah. For her, unfortunately, you know, that's just that's just the way it is. Yeah. But, but Russia's definitely going to try to use her to their advantage to see what they can leverage out of uh, the U.S. to get her back home. Yeah, and I think we know Russia is very well-versed in a lot of the division and the hardships we face here. Uh, Stateside, Brittany is a a Black gay woman, you know, openly identifies as a lesbian. And we know that they're really not for any LGBTQ rights over there, but they also know that... (laughs) America isn't the best with that track record either. So it's unfortunate because it feels like everything to your point, like just kind of at a high level 
is at play but then there's also like and even if we were willing to do everything like would we do it will will y'all do it for this black queer woman no well we're gonna basically cause a stir cause some chaos over there so that because they love to see us fight each other like yeah yeah i mean dave Chappelle kind of summed it up in one of his one of his skits like he was talking about you'll never hear about black people getting getting snatched hostage and you know held for ransom or whatever right could you imagine them snatching up some black people calling the white house and they're like hey you know we have we have four black hello (laughs) (laughs) hello (laughs) like you're not gonna that call is not gonna go through like they're gonna hang up because i mean it's sad to say that that they don't care now Mm -hmm. let let Brittany Griner have been maybe a white politician or yeah. a white male or a politician's, you know, daughter or son, then it would be a whole entirely different conversation. Yep. So it's, I mean, once again, you know, we do so much for our country. We do so much around the world, but, but blackness itself and, you know, this, this pure gift of melanin that we possess, it's just like, it's our gift and curse, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And if we do, damn if we don't. And people still are treating us like it's in the 1950s and 1900s and 1800s. Yeah. Even all around the world. Right. Even here today, so. Yeah. I will say, you know, it also brought to light a very good point. You know, the W, they're not paying these women enough to just be a part of the W. We don't hear about NBA players going overseas during the offseason to make up for money that they could not make being in the league. Apparently, she's getting paid 250000 to play for the Phoenix team in the W. She's getting paid $1.5 million to play in Russia. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if her bringing a couple of vapes over to spend, you know, I don't know, three, four months in Russia wasn't really that big of a deal three years ago uh-huh. or last year. But now they're like, oh, no, we're not playing with y'all. Yeah. So. And, I mean, and she, it was just kind of like wrong place, wrong time with her. She's probably doing her normal routine when it comes to yes. coming over there, getting ready to play ball and chill out for the next few months. But yep, let's go around. It wasn't, she wasn't so lucky. Yep. So speaking of anti-blackness being global, um, we've seen uh, Ukraine evacuate its citizens to other parts of Europe. And a lot of folks in the EU or a lot of countries in the EU have been very welcoming, trying to get them in there as quickly as they can. Um, And Ukraine is trying to get their citizens or their natural born citizens, I guess I should specify, out as quickly as they can. Uh, But what we are also seeing is that some African born, some black and brown students were being left behind um, as they needed to, quote unquote, save Ukrainians first. So kind of how how vast does this issue go in situations like this and honestly what can be done to help those that are facing like some second class citizen treatment at this time I mean honestly there's not much we can do like we, we mm-hmm. sit we watch and you know we say damn that's that's messed up say a prayer for them but according to Ukraine and the top officials of Ukraine, that wasn't even happening. Like they, they didn't even acknowledge that that was happening. And it took media personnel to say, hey, you know, we got videos of them turning, you know, black and brown people away, them pushing them down to, fur- you know, making them walk to, to further borders just to even try to cross out the country mm-hmm. in the freezing cold. You know, people were dying on the walk and freezing to death. It was like all kind of mayhem, but honestly, it's really not nothing America can do unless we step in. And if we step in, then that's going to be a war. However, they uh, they did call ceasefires in a few cities to allow humanitarian uh, organizations and, and missions to come in and try to help out. So hopefully the humanitarian efforts that go over there and that are entering Ukraine are looking out for all human, all humans and yeah. humanity as a whole and not just natural born Ukrainians, you know, because you have black people that are Ukrainians, you have black people that came over there on student visas that are attending universities in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, this is not their war. I mean, it's not anyone's war, but they don't deserve to be in it either. If everyone has a chance to fight for their life, like, why are you denying me the chance to fight for mine? And I think at the end of the day, it's a really hypocritical for America to chime in on anything race related. True. And we still are dealing with the things that we're dealing with here in this country. So I, I kind of find that uh, it's almost laughable, just like how America was was trying to go after South America and the apartheid. But it's like, look how you treat, <laughs> look how you treat your own black citizens. Like, come on. Right. So, you know, it's, that's why I said our, our melanin is a gift and a curse. Like, you know, we're amazing. We're the things that stars are made out of and the whole universe and space and all of that. But here on earth, it seems like it's just, <laughs> it's a curse and nobody wants to do right by us it's like we're not even viewed as as equals or the same as even or even even humans right which is weird like they look at us as some kind of animal or beast of the field right but, i mean you've seen a lot of the media and how they are talking about this war and the people of ukraine versus any sort of dialogue or storytelling that they have used in countries where there has been conflict, whether it's been in the continent of Africa or in other Middle Eastern countries, like it's always very much like those other folks over there. Um, mm -hmm. They'll call out their their Muslim faith if they are that. Um, if it's just basically black folks in a an impoverished space, it's just like oh they can't help themselves, so we got to okay. figure it out for them. But with Ukraine, it's like oh my gosh, these poor delicate people. Let's do whatever we can for them. And I agree, like, we should try to help if there's a way to help. But I also think it's been very wild to see, like, oh, we see how y'all show up when you want to show up. All right. All right. I mean, definitely, because let's just let's look at the fact that we were just hearing the country harp and hearing everyone say we're in this this deficit and, you know, all these new trillions of debt. But when it came down to it. We shot Ukraine about six point eight billion recently, just in aid, and I don't, I don't even think that's the the, the final number. Mm. So we're shooting the money that supposedly we don't have. I mean, and it's always funny. Let's look at, let's look at COVID real quick. Let's step back before like all the the surplus checks and, and the relief checks for COVID. When they were trying to have to talk about reparations, they were like, "Oh, reparations probably will cost about." maybe in the teens of trillions or something like that. It was like, well, if we don't have the money. We, there's no way we could ever do that. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened and they spent about 25 trillion sending everybody money, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in those, in those payouts. So like you said, it's, it's not that we don't, it's not that we can't, it's that we choose not to, or we choose to do it for who we want to do it for. And when it really comes to, to helping black people, brown people, people of color, minorities, they're not going to do anything that they can't benefit from. Right. And that's how, you know, that's how, like you say, you, you're not going to hit a story about the village in Africa that's getting terrorized and, and this other country, uh, you know, this Islam country where, where this is going on and they're not eating and they have to leave and they're on the trail. And it's not, it's, it's news. It could be, but it's not a news that's going to, tug on the heartstrings of the normal quote-unquote American you know right. Americans still technically white by majority so looking at black and brown people suffering that's not going to do shit for them they, they see that every day they see it here you know and, mm -hmm. and they're not doing whatever they can to change that here but let me show them someone that looks like them overseas going through that and now we got the, the floodgates and everyone's open their pocketbooks and their wallets and you know they're sending digital checks and all of that like i've seen sites where people think they're sponsoring uh ammunition and and war materials for the ukrainian army it's i feel it's definitely a scam but if you feel you, that you can buy a missile or a bomb or, or a box of ammo then then by all means go ahead but you know we wouldn't see it for us and, and they wouldn't do it for us and they wouldn't do it for any other country except one that looks like them ultimately yep Yep. It's like, and I hate it because it's like, yes, prayers up for Ukraine, but let this, let this also continue to shine a light, you know, throughout the pandemic, y'all saw what it really was here and really around the world. Also see how this is reflective of a different approach 
depending on who is on the screen. So just a just a, an, an observation there. Oh no, you're totally right. Yeah. <laughs> totally right with that. All right, so so last question. So some folks, of course, are are wondering if this will incite World War III, and you kind of alluded to it in some ways earlier, but let's talk about it. What would the scenario really have to be for something of that magnitude to happen? I mean, is there an idea where Russia will kind of completely, like, let's just say they, they completely take over Ukraine, you know, they're just completely overtaken there is no more government they're essentially kind of like consumed again by russia do we see them stopping there or are they going to keep going to where other countries will want to like do some sort of counter counteraction you know back towards them like how real is a world war three threat at this point i mean honestly world war three threats are more common than you think mm-hmm. and there are a lot of conflicts there are a lot of operations that never reach the light of day when it comes to the public or or media for that matter there are a lot of covert ops and everything that goes on just to kind of keep everything in balance surprisingly mm-hmm. my assessment on a world war three is if russia takes ukraine and it's highly possible that they could if Russia takes Ukraine and stops there that wouldn't warrant US interference or okay. that wouldn't warrant us jumping in mm-hmm. what I'm nervous about because it's the same thing that kind of happened during the Balkans uh, back in the 90s when Clinton was president when we said you know hands off it's not our fight we're not going to really <laughs> we're not going to do anything with this mm-hmm. is the media presence. So media presence and then them publicizing what's going on to the world. It almost like it turns a spotlight on America because believe it or not, the world looks at us as the world police. You know, no one's going to do anything that America has to do something type of thing. And if they are broadcasting all of these atrocities day in, day out, hours for a day, like, people just getting slaughtered in the streets, civilians, everything like that. It almost puts us in a position to where we morally have to act, which unfortunately, like I said, I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope we don't get baited into that because another war is not what we need, you know, right now. I mean, a war is not what we need, period. But if we're going to go to war, let it be for something like real and authentic, not because you know, I mean, bad stuff happens all over the world all the time. Mm-hmm. Does that warrant our interference? No, it does not. But like we said, we seem to do things for the people we want to do things for. Yeah. And I just, I just hope it doesn't, that doesn't get to that. But in the scenarios where it really could see our, our involvement is definitely if they hit a NATO country, they hit a NATO country, America's jumping in, but so is the rest of NATO in those 30 other countries and their militaries are jumping in. Um, They used to think that, I mean, it was speculated that China would possibly hop in with Russia if Russia did decide to go full on and attack in their border countries and and NATO had to get involved. Mm -hmm. But looking at the sanctions that was imposed on China and seeing that the world is not playing, I don't think China wants to take that risk economically. Okay. China is a big, you know, economic powerhouse and they have their economy is, is is definitely the main driver for that country. So being cut off from the world financially would beyond cripple them. So I don't think they even wanna wanna try that. And and lastly, like I said, a lot of this is being fought, you know, cyber, like across across, yeah. across the space. So the war that we think of you know, person against person, it's it's probably really not going to be that. It's more, you know, computer against computer, IP address against IP address, and that's what we've been seeing for the last few years. Mm-hmm. So I, I I I hope it doesn't come to a World War Three. Right. Because I'm tired. I'm old. I'm not young like I was when I went over there the first few times, 
and uh, I'm still not out yet. So it, it'd be a possibility that I have to go back. And every time you roll in the dice, and I just, uh, I don't, I don't want to have to deal with that. Right. But I think that as a country, America sometimes needs to know when to to mind their business. <laughs> we haven't exactly <laughs> figured that out. We haven't figured that out. We feel that our way of life is the way of life for everyone, but in reality, our way of life most of the time really doesn't work for us 100%. Right. You know, the democracy isn't really democracy, and we want to go in and say every country needs to be ran like this, and that's not necessarily the case. We have to kind of stick to what we know and, and stick to us, but yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a sticky situation and it's something that you just don't hope for, but we're ready if it comes, you know, we've, we've deployed soldiers in the region to the border areas, you know, we have our, our air force and everything else, our naval force on alert and they're doing their appropriate exercises and whatnot, but I mean, at the end of the day, I don't want to see it because I know America is not going to do what it needs to do in order to, they're going to come out on top, but they're not going to do what it needs to do to truly come out on top and to crush opposition. You know, they have to be seen in a certain light. And that's our, that's our weakness. Yeah. We have to, we care what other countries think about us. And even in war, we're still going to refer back to the, in the Geneva Convention and which we agreed upon, you know, during Hague and during World War II in the 40s to govern how we conduct ourselves during war. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, we're the only people trying to live up to the standard of I'm going to be a gentleman <laughs> during war right. versus I'm going to do what it takes to, to wipe you off the map. So I, I don't want to see it because I know it's going to mean huge American casualties unless we get that mentality to where we're really going to be that junkyard dog and let the capabilities, the true capabilities of our military rain down. And if we're not willing to do that, then it's, it's going to be like Vietnam, a, a quote unquote victory. But morally, you know, we were, yeah. we were, we were definitely done in. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting. I think that it's another, thing where just like with a nuclear war people you know we we're so like over everything so people joke about world war three all the time but honestly if we can't take you know some rising gas prices right now and we went up we went out and bought up all the toilet tissue because of covid right like i can only imagine how people will act you know in during a, a true world war conflict like it's going to be hard to make it around these streets, so. Yeah, right. Right. I mean, facts, you're looking at a true conflict and maybe maybe having martial law enforced or maybe being, you're looking at whole cities being blown off the map and, and millions of lives being lost in, in in a matter of minutes. And then it's hard to try to, to go around that. So now there is no sense of government. There is no sense of, of law and order. And you have people, if you look at any random up, post-apocalyptic movie that you could think of you're gonna see that <laughs> people banding together and people just kind of you know killing each other or, or looting or whatever it is so they can survive and, right. and i think that's truly what what could happen if everything falls you know if, we, if we, the wrong places get hit yeah you know people just got to be prepared it's not a joke but don't think of you know you don't want to sit there and focus your life on this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. Because there's so many threats on a regular basis that you just, you don't know about. However, once again, you know, be prepared, have a plan, have have things to protect yourself, have extra supplies at home. You know, if you can own a firearm, own a firearm. If you can't, you know, get a machete, get an ax, get a katana, get something, because you don't have to worry about reloading those. But if you really have to, to protect you and yours, you need to be able to do so. You should have a plan should have things in place mm -hmm. that's real you guys you heard it first here if you didn't know it already all right jerry well i definitely appreciate you coming back on giving us tons of insight into what's going on uh with the war across the pond um you know i think there are definitely 
lots of things for us to consider. But, you know, as you said multiple times, also, you know, lots of things that we shouldn't um, fret about, you know, day in and day out. Um, stay stay alert and protect yourself as, as one should at all times. But, you know, especially over here in the States, you know, what we can hope for is that this doesn't turn into a global conflict and hopefully it gets resolved for them sooner than later. Um, but before you go, you know, we have to do jukebox with Jack. So <laughs> let, give me uh, three songs, uh, artists, albums that you've been listening to. Uh, I can't really give you three songs. I give you two main artists. So for, for whatever reason, recently I've been, I've been big, back on on MJ and Prince. Okay. So I have been going through all the all their old stuff and, and just listening to Michael and Prince. Just kind of vibing out with that. Mhm. Uh, you know, I'm a big R&B and jazz classical music person anyway. So and and I love my 90s 2000s rap and hip hop. This this current stuff. <laughs> I leave that for my kids. So. <laughs> That's they stuff. That's that's not me no more. So I, I honestly, I think I feel like how our parents felt when they was listening to rap. And they were like, "What the hell is this shit?" <laughs> like, Y'all ain't even rapping no more. Just they just doing saying a bunch of nothing. But all right, the just beat making time, a bunch of sounds. Yeah. Skr, skr. <laughs> yeah, it's a bunch of nothing. But all right, cool. You know. Yeah, I don't know. There's a few younger artists that I like, but overall, I definitely understand what you mean. I think a new. Um, Double XL freshman class came out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the names were so weird. I thought it was like a joke. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> but um, okay, so let's see. I have not been really listening to anything new, but I definitely have had Jasmine Sullivan, Hotels Motel still in uh, rotation. Okay. As well as uh, the, dr- uh, not the Dream Child, The Weekend. <laughs> Dawn FM still in rotation but what I will say I pulled out of the crates so I was just feeling feeling a little you know religious over the weekend I guess Um, Kirk Franklin and the family Um, you know he made like 50 of them what you looking for from 1995 an album okay my favorite song Savior More Than Life Conquerors don't take your joy away and Jesus paid it all. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I put some uh some, you know, the reason why we sing in silver and gold and and uh oh, what's the other giant? I can't even think of it right now, but yeah. Uh Kurt Franklin, you get a few when I get in that gospel mode, I, I got a few from that I go back to. Yep. Yep. So definitely got into the spirit over the past weekend, I think it was. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, all of a sudden I just randomly like started singing Savior More Than Life. It came to mind and I cut it on and I was like, I still knew every note. I was like, this was the jam. <laughs> like, I remember being in fifth grade, like, you know, staying up late, listening to it. Like, this is gospel. Like, I can stay up late and listen to my gospel tunes. So shout out yeah. to Kirk Franklin. Talking with Jesus. That's right. That's my Jesus is my homeboy. Yes. Kirk Franklin was like the first artist that literally made like Jesus being your homie cool, you know? Cool, right. Especially when they hit stomping. Yes. In that era. Right. It was to that point at that point, it was like borderline, you might not be able to play it around your grandma. <laughs> like it might be a little too secular for her. Might play it in church and all the old people looking at you crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I remember those times. It was a good time. Yes. Shout out, shout out. So yeah, so that's what I have this week. Again, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Thank you for your service. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Um, We're going to stay, you know, stay ready so we don't have to get ready. And hopefully, you know, we'll be back to lower gas prices (laughs) before we know it. (laughs) I agree. You know, you're welcome. Thank you for once again, giving me the opportunity I appreciate all the love. I appreciate the support over the years. And yeah, everybody, like like Jackie said, hey, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Do what you need to do for yourself and your family. Protect yourself at all times and your loved ones. That's right. All right. Well, 
we'll definitely have you back again in the future. You know, you're always welcome. So until next time, you take care. You too. All right. Bye. And that wraps up another episode. Jerry, thank you so much for coming back. Thanks for sharing some knowledge and giving us a little history on what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. It's never fun to hear that war is looming again, but, you know, we are walking away more informed and we know to keep our head on a swivel and stay ready so that we don't have to get ready. If you want to help Ukraine, there are lots of resources out there. Check on your socials. You'll surely find something. And if not, let's send lots of thoughts and prayers and hope that this conflict ends soon. As always, thank you all for listening. And remember, I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none, not here to be an expert, just here to have fun. Bye, guys.